You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. This is the 3CR Garden Show and I'm Virginia Hayward. With me are Emma Hurd, landscape architect, and Tex Moon from the Dandenong Botanics Garden. Good morning, Em. Good morning, Jen. How are you going? Excellent. And Tex. Hello. Hello, everyone. I have to say that's a slight lie. We're meant to have John Arnott with us today, but we couldn't replace ourselves and John doesn't have a cold. Us three have a cold, so we decided to be in here together and ban <laughs> anybody else who didn't have a cold. <laughs> Seemed like a logical way to go forward. And we probably all got this cold because we were at a conference all week. Yes, yes, we were at the Global Botanic Gardens Congress in that was held in Melbourne, which was an incredible, incredible event, and it's one that's been coming for about... Well, it was meant to be in 2020. It was meant to be hosted out here, and it's been sort of uh, backwards and forwards whether it was going to be an online event or a hybrid or, or face-to-face, and eventually they, they took the risk and went face-to-face, and it was uh, it was incredible. Um, over 500 delegates from 45 different countries. So, yeah. It was. It was exciting. Mm. I went to Madagascar many years ago with Stephen as on um, one of Stephen's tours, and yep. I met somebody from the Madagascar Botanic Gardens, which I'd been to. Yeah, yeah. And she was funded by one of the American Botanic Gardens. Yeah. Which I also thought was a fabulous thing. She was excellent. Yeah, yeah, and there there is some incredible things going on like that. The way that some of those, especially American gardens and places like that operating beyond their own boundaries and, and really getting some important kind of conservation work happening in the communities and far outreach communities like, like that is I it's unbelievable. I met a few people who were funded by American Botanic yeah. Gardens. I was really impressed because, mm. you know, Madagascar is an incredibly poor country. Obviously yeah. it's going to have trouble funding a botanic garden yeah. or a worker for a botanic garden. Yeah. Mm. Did you find it exciting, Em? Yeah, I definitely found it exciting. I think um, it was good the ratio of uplifting speakers <laughs> to the ratio of climate scientists. <laughs> yeah. So um, we had a wonderful climate scientist speak on the second day named David Carley, And I think it was good that he spoke on the second day because it was sobering and <laughs> it gave everyone the orientation that they needed to understand why we were all there. And then we had so many wonderful speakers from all the gardens talking about all the things they're actively committing to doing and already doing. And it was very uplifting and heartening to find that we're all on a very similar page and trajectory and the poorest country to the richest country have these issues of climate change and uh, taking action on their agenda. Mm. And that was really good. Yes, David Carley, I, d- I don't think I've ever 
seen somebody be able to present such a grim uh, yes. <laughs> presentation in such an uplifting way. He was yeah. he was incredibly engaging, but yeah, the content was uh, the thing that struck. Us, mm. Emma and I, and I'm sure you too, Tex, was that when he said it's all very well talking about the average, oh, it's, the climate's going up the, by 2%, this is the average. Yeah. Remove the sea. Yeah, yeah. it's actually much, much higher. higher. The land temperature is a lot higher, yeah, and yes. especially if you, st- if you start taking trees and things out of the equation in cities, you yeah. know, that urban sink of heat, the heat sink in the, in the cities is, is And all again, our cities are higher. just getting bigger and bigger and yeah. bigger, and there's a push to get them bigger. Nobody seems to be trying to stop mm. this happening. Yeah. Uh, so. I mean, at least in Melbourne, we are seriously talking about having an urban forest. Yeah, mm. yeah. But, but so many of the trees we've actually got are not going to make it under yeah. the new regime of mm. more heat. Yeah, we are truly talking about potential mass extinction of a number of species of plants. So, um, Well, this is an uplifting way to start the morning. <laughs> <laughs> but there was just so much interesting work on how gardens mm. are sharing, not only yeah. uh, many of these American gardens funding workers in, in um, developing countries, mm. but also garden after garden is sharing its 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 content is moving things to other places, is trying to make sure that they are planning for the future. Our own Botanic Absolutely. Gardens has got a, a, a plan which they've developed, which is based around 2090. Yep. Yeah, no, I think that, that, that work is, is, a, is incredibly important and I think it really does talk to the role that Botanic Gardens play in, in conservation Um this idea that we're talking more and more about of meta collections, so lots of collections within a collection. So, so the idea is that. So there was a great example of a oak species, a, a really rare, almost near extinct oak species in the wild, a Quercus angulmanii, northern American species, that they're now, they've now planted in the Royal Botanic Gardens, Melbourne. So this, what they're calling a consortium approach to to conservation. So. We always need to be focusing on on conserving these things in the wild, but but whilst we're doing that, we also need to be sharing these things amongst the botanic garden community in, in these living collections. So there's always that backup, and 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 having distance and oceans between these things can be a really good idea as well. Because mm. obviously, you know, if things if things don't go well in the wild or in the native range, then at least there there, there is a backup, and we're still holding that genetic material. So. Yeah. So yeah, I think that that is incredibly important work, and is is a it's a again it's grim, but it's also an exciting role that we that we we all play in in the conservation space. So yeah, yeah, and it was wonderful to see um, a new seed bank represented there um, in North Korea. There's a new seed bank that's opened up, um, and they're they're willing to take seed from ornamental plants, not just agricultural mm. food crop plants. So that's heartening mm. to see that there's progress in that regard as well. I wasn't aware that what's the what's the previous really large seed bank? That's in Iceland? That's the the food crop one, yeah. 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 But there's also the big Millennium Seed Bank as well that, that uh, obviously... Which is me- Q. Q. It's mm. run at a Q in Melbourne, obviously have a role in that as well. So, mm. so yeah, that's, uh, there is... But, yeah, the Seed Banks is obviously the, the, the best way that we can, we can be um, storing these things and, and preserving them. But 
there's a lot of plants that don't do well in seed, seed banks, banks as well. So mm. the, then the living collections become uh, an incredibly important role as well. So Emma and I both went to a talk um, where Iceland were talking about the and uh, collecting wild versions of food crops. Yep, and seventy percent of crop of crop wild red wild relatives are in five Nordic countries and they're talking mm. about Brussels sprouts and broccoli and kale and and kohlrabi and these things that we mm. buy in our supermarkets all the time. And you think, I mean, Iceland is one small, two freezing. Yeah. Mm. I mean, it's, I, I found it extraordinary to think that, you know, broccoli, kohlrabi, kale, all these things, the wild relatives are all there in Iceland and they're, yeah. all, and they're all now collecting them. They're growing just wild all over Iceland, mm. yep. which is an, an extraordinary place. I've been to Iceland. It doesn't have any trees, which I find extraordinary. Yeah, yeah. yeah. all brassicas, it seems, yes. yeah. that do well there. Well, I guess it makes sense, yeah. And, 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 of course, being so cold, they can very successfully have a, a seed bank. Yeah. They've just got to mm. go down a little bit. Yeah, yeah. 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 But, yes, it was, it was. And, of course, um, our own botanic gardens, I mean, Melbourne Botanic Gardens was the first to develop this um, a plan taken yeah. out to 2090 so that any planting of trees is actually addressing where the city is likely to be in 2090. Yeah. And, of course, you and the Dandenong Botanic Gardens are doing some interesting work on trying to preserve some of our, yeah. some, our cloud forests. That's right. And, 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 look, we, we play a pretty pretty important part in a lot of that because gardens like Melbourne you know have this outlook to the, to the future that that where we're looking at a climate that is is obviously going up so looking at their succession plan of of what species they're going to plant now to make sure that they'll still survive in 2090 especially tree species obviously the longer lived things so where we sit in amongst that is we do we are a cooler climate botanic garden so so we are on average, five degrees cooler than than Melbourne. We do get a lot more precipitation in in any given year. So, and you don't have the frosts. And we also don't have frosts. We're at the top of the hill, so the the frosts tend to roll off us pretty well. So we do have really good growing conditions up there. And there's there's a lot of things that that Melbourne and Cranbourne are looking at, sort of, and have been duplicating, and uh, and we've been plant, planting up in the Dandenongs just to because it's somewhere that we can grow them and hopefully grow them into the future. Um, so you were talking about cloud forests, which is an interesting concept that, um, well, we do have cloud forests within within Australia. So if you which think, I think people probably don't know. Yeah, and and for listeners that aren't sort of when we say cloud forests, we're talking about mountain peaks up in, in in the tropics. So so generally hanging around the equator a little bit, but but getting right up in the altitude above sort of a thousand meters, and where you literally are in amongst the clouds. So you, you've got huge or well, high rainfall in, in any year but you know a lot of precipitation in fog so you, you're really sitting in that cloud cloud layer so um in australia we have we have um that up around Cairns. so there's there's about i think it's nine or ten peaks up around Cairns. so atherton table and bellin and kerr bartle frere those kind of places and and yeah all above 900 meters a thousand meters and and Plants that that really don't grow anywhere else in the world, so and need such an unusual environment. That's right, and are incredibly threatened by processes, well, by by climate change, because 
they're at the top of the peak. They can't go any further. So, so you, yeah. You know, they. some people talk about cloud forests as elfin woodland. Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> most of the trees in the cloud forest are um, stunted. If, yeah. you, if you take them out of the cloud forest and plant them elsewhere, they will they will be bigger if they survive. Yeah. And, I mean, cloud forests in the 1970s, 11% of global woodland was cloud forest. Yeah. It's now down to 1%. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's a very threatened species. Yeah. And, and you've got places like, I mean, Costa Rica, I went to the cloud forests in Costa Rica, and Costa Rica is extraordinary. 40% of Costa Rica yeah. is preserved as uh, as naturally. So the mm. cloud forests are really well treated, but elsewhere in the world, cloud forests are threatened. And of course, global warming is going to threaten, and owls are really threatened because yeah. you can't get any higher than the ones. The, we've you got. can't, and and so and as you know, the the area that we're talking about up in up around Cairns is all part of the wet tropics bioregion, which is a World Heritage listed area, and and it is based on that what we call high level of endemism. So a lot of these, as I say, a lot of these plants don't grow anywhere else in the world, and so. Once they're gone, they're gone for good. And so there's there has been some there's a project called the Tropical Tropical Mountain Plant Science Project, which is looking at actually conserving a broad range of these species and having them held in seed banks and living collections and 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 spread around the the uh, well Australia in in botanic gardens. So where they where they will where they will grow. But um, but yeah, it is a incredibly important bit of work that's happening because as you say these these places you, you, these plants can't go any higher they're they're at the peak they're they're isolated from from anywhere else and if, if we don't sort of do the work to uh to conserve them in these backup collections then there's a very good chance that they will disappear mm. and not to be alarmist but i would say that a lot of these botanic gardens around the world are are keeping some plants on life support. You know, mm. they're going to be um, doing work that's really important. And if people can go to their botanic gardens and ask questions and, and show interest, you know, they can get involved in it. Yeah, absolutely. And one thing people don't know about Australia is that we actually have two rhododendrons. We do. I think officially now too. So, so and, oh, and officially. And they do actually, yeah, so they, they exist up in those that same area, so up around uh, Cairns. Explain what you mean by officially. So, so <laughs> for a long time it's been known that there is two species of rhododendron up, that, that are all up around those mountain peaks up around Cairns. So, so rhododendron lockii and rhododendron viriosum, but it's only just in recent times and as part it was actually one of the outcomes of this tropical mountain plant science project that I was just talking about that they they have done the genetic testing on these these plants and definitively proven that that there is the two species the, the flowers of the two do look different don't they they do yeah so I they're, mean, they're both red but yeah they're... so they they both fall under the so they're the varia kind of subsection of of rhododendrons they're small growing rhododendrons a lot of them grow as Lithophytic, so they grow in in sort of rock crevices and things like that. Um, both striking little red varia rhododendron flowers, but the rhododendron viriosum is known that it has a straight corolla, so so it's a yeah quite a straight little opening trumpet kind of flower. Then, but the rhododendron lockii has a a curved oh, corolla, mm-hmm. and the other the other dis- well clear distinction is that they actually grow. In different locations, so so the locky eyes 
on the mountain peaks south of Cairns and the, the Viriosum is on the peaks north of Cairns, so as a distinction, but yeah. And so lovely to see that two distinct plants can coexist on one side of a mountain and one on the other side. Mm, like yeah. It's, it's quite special. And interesting that the mountains behind Cairns can come to the Dandenong Botanic Garden, yeah. which I might add, some of you will be thinking, what's the Dandenong Botanic Garden? It used to be the Rhododendron Garden, and yeah. it is full of rhododendrons, so it's very appropriate and, that they and do and come. I, and I do have to clear up that, we're not, that it's the Dandenong Ranges Botanic Garden. Don't, mm. don't go to Dandenong thinking you're going to find this. You've got to come up to Alinda to find the Dandenong Ranges Botanic Garden. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. You're right. <laughs> um, yeah, so it is. It is an interesting thing that these things grow what four thousand kilometres away in the wild, but but they're not they're not plants that will grow in cans. It's uh, because because they they need they that need the they height. need the altitude up up around there. So so surprisingly, we're we're reasonably climate matched to be able to grow these things. And we've been growing the the two rhododendrons for a long long time, so we know that they they grow well in our environment in the Dandenong Ranges. So mm. so good chance that a lot of the uh, those kind of companion plants from up there will will thrive in the Dandenongs. So, and Demi, you've been working on actually developing somewhere for them to be pl- to be put in the gardens, yeah. haven't you? Yeah, I've been really fortunate to work with Andrea Proctor on uh, designing the landscape for these special plants to be homed eventually. But yes, it will take time. Uh, the The project is currently on pause, mm. so. We'll get there eventually, but uh, as with all good projects, there has been a bend in the road. (laughs) This is the 3CR Garden Show. I'm Virginia Haywood, and with me are Emma Hurd and Tex Moon. I would love to open up the lines to you and suggest if you'd like to, you can ring in on 94190155, text in on 0488809855, but don't send photos. We can't take photos. If you want to send us a photo, you need to send it to gardening at 3cr.org.au and that'll be picked up for next week's program. So the talkback line, 94190155. And have you brought any plants in, Tex? I did. I Look, it's uh, beginning to feel a lot like spring um, up in the Denmark Ranges. certainly. Yeah, yeah. Gorgeous. So... If you're coming up at the moment, um, you're going to see start seeing a lot of rhododendrons out. So I, I did bring an uh, assortment of rhododendrons in to sort of talk about, but I also did have my heater going pretty hard <laughs> on the way in here. So they've all they're all looking a little bit sad, sadder than they were this morning. But I'll I'll, I'll grab a couple. You guys can you, talk amongst you, yourselves. You, you don't have to tell the listeners; they can't see them. <laughs> <laughs> This is an essential fact. As, as, as we hand the plant around and everyone says, wow, those flowers are very limp. <laughs> well. Um, so rhododendrons, obviously we are up in the Dandenong Ranges Botanic Garden, very well known for the rhododendrons. As Virginia said before, we used to be the National Rhododendron Garden and we do have incredible support of the Australian Rhododendron Society who, who uh, started the garden back in the 1960s. So... So yeah, it, it continues to be a huge focus for us, and and as I said, if you're coming up there at the moment, this is this is what you're gonna. Not the only thing. There's plenty of other things to see as well, but the the rhododendrons really do uh, 
Well, I presume you've also got cherry blossom. Well, mm. I, can, I think I can officially say that the cherry blossom season is is done. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, so uh, that's sort of uh, mid to late September and, and yeah, it's, it's – uh, it's they've we're now seeing all the leaf coming on the on the the cherries so so no more blossoms but we've had enough wind and rain that a lot of the blossom has gone <laughs> yeah wind rain and and parrots through winter they tend yes. to eat a lot of the a lot of the buds before they come out but uh they but love we're, it we're happy to share but um but anyway I thought uh, this was I thought I'd start with one of my favourite rhododendrons and it's uh this one's an a rhododendron arborium uh, hybrid and it's called Sir Charles Lemon. And you can actually see this when you first come into the rhododendron garden. It is uh, right at our welcome sign. So it's uh, it comes out in this truss of white sort of ivory flowers at this this time of year. Um, a big ball, that rhododendron ball of of white flowers. But one of the things that I love about this this plant is the striking indumentum. So the Rhododendrons are quite well known for the ingimentum, which is that sort of furry layer under the velvety fur, kind of under the under on the underside of the leaf. And this one really looks like um, it's a beautiful reddish tan. It's isn't it's it? it's like suede leather or something. Yes. Yeah, yeah. It's it's and and one of the parents is the is the it's the arborium subspecies cinnamomium. So so that's sort of where you get mm. that cinnamon coloured ingimentum and. One of the interesting things that we find with rhododendrons, so um, rhododendrons are they one of the big pests is uh, azalea lace bug, and the 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 rhodes with with a lot of this indumentum seem to be pretty resistant to to the lace bugs. So they tend to stay clean and 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 the leaves stay green, as opposed to the ones that get impacted by lace bug tend to yellow off at times in the year. But but yeah, this is a tree. It's a well, it's a it's a small tree, large shrub, so up to sort of two to three meters. Um, and it's yeah, as I say, there's certain times of the day up with this particular one that I'm t- talking that I've taken this specimen from. It's uh, where the afternoon sun will hit it, and the contrast between the the green, the, and, the the green the- and the and that cinnamon kind of velvety ingimentum is is really striking. So that's a uh, yeah, Sir Charles Lemon. It's what beautiful. a lovely plant. Mm. And say it slowly, indumentum. Indumentum, yes, with this uh, I-N-D-U-T-A-M, U-M. Mm. In- indumentum, yeah. you've left out a, a syllable, but that doesn't matter. Did I? Yeah, but yeah. That, that it's, is, it's early. It's <laughs> very early. It's particularly early because of daylight. Yeah, 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 we all, mm. yes. um, So, So that is, I mean, and there are quite a few plants that have that really different Leaf color underneath, and it it always is striking. Yeah, and just that texture. I one of my favourite native plants up in the in the Dandenongs is the uh, Bedfordia arborescens, or the blanket leaf, which is a which is a asteraceae tree, oh, so yes. a, a daisy t- daisy tree. But it's uh, yeah, the common name is blanket leaf, and it's it's it is literally underneath is is like woolly velvet it's it's quite a thick ingimentum and it's so soft and and tactile and it's it's one of those great plants that you can that i get my kids interested in horticulture with they mm. they uh they, they've made blankets for dollies in the past and all of that sort of thing so yeah it, it is it is a one of those tactile things that plants can offer is is that underside of the leaf so yeah. 
And for anyone at home that's trying to picture it, think a little bit of like a, a the magnolias that you can get with green on one side and brown on the other. It's a little bit like that. Yes. Yeah. Little gem. A little gem. Yeah. 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 Mm. It is. It's quite striking. Mm. Am I? Am I pulling out more of yes, the collection? Um, so rhododendron is a particularly large and fairly complex genus of plants um, with lots of subsections that I won't sort of talk about too much because I'll end up confusing myself as much as anybody. But but one of the subsections is, is Medinia, which is a a really nice um, group of rhododendrons. So, so quite often they're, they're, they're quite fragrant, um, not huge growing plants. And a lot of them have really um, nice bark features. So, so flaky kind of almost paper bark trunks. Um, but so the, I've brought in a couple from that subsection, but this, this one, again, it's looking quite wilty here, but, uh, but it's a, uh, it's actually rhododendron antis. So for those that know Peter Tees and Don Tees from the Yamina um, nursery, Arnold Tees was their father who was an incredible nurseryman um, in Australia and up in the Dandenongs and played a huge role in horticulture in, in, in Australia. So this is one of the the species that he, or the hybrids that he bred. So it's... it's um, it's a small compact rhododendron, sort of one to two two meters and, and as I said quite quite compact and rounded. Incredible fragrance. Um, we're not gonna get anything out of this one today, but it but the one up at um, the garden which is which is right near um, again, right near the front entrance in amongst the azalea the Karim azaleas, um, just puts out an incredible fragrance. Um through, I can through smell it. something. Yeah, though. you can, I can smell, smell it. Yeah, yeah, it subtly. And and it, again, it has. It doesn't have those large, round trusses of 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 flowers that the bigger the bigger rhododendrons get. But it's sort of more individual, um, large kind of trumpety flowers, uh, pink to to white, and and it's a it's a beautiful hybrid. But the other thing I did do is bring in one of the parents of that that range, which is. Which is a rhododendron cilia calyx, which is a species, and it's it's uh, again a really fragrant, beautiful rhododendron, and it can get a bit bigger than the, the very antique. very clear white. Very clear white. There is a pink one as well, um, a more pink one. Um, but but yeah, it's a uh, it's again a, a healthy, stays fairly clean from from uh, lace bug. The Medinia subsection tends to be uh, reasonably resistant to lace bug. Um, I just love them again, just because there, there is it's a diverse group of roadies, but it, but a lot of them do have this incredible fragrance. And uh, there's a section within the Dandenong Ranges Botanic Garden that we we sort of focus on on these, and it's right in amongst the messmate eucalypts woodland kind of area. So it's quite wild, and you can just walk along, and these things are all popping out at the moment. And uh, and there's yeah incredible smells. And the other wonderful thing about going to the Dandenong Ranges Botanic Gardens is when you walk on the high side, if you just keep walking along the mm. high side, you get the most extraordinary views. Yeah, yeah. I think that view is totally stunning. Oh, yeah. the borrowed landscape up there is incredible. Yeah, yeah, we uh, we do 
what we what we probably don't do well is the is the big lawn vistas and things like that. We tend to uh, we tend to have a lot of uh, a lot of planting right on road edges and and just massive plants. But uh, but you get your vistas by looking out into the distance, out to the outer ranges, and and yeah. and you can see, I don't know, right across Melbourne, across mm. all the way to the um, Macedon, can't you? Yeah, in some spots, yeah. Yes, I so. just think the view is extraordinary and, yeah. and it keeps popping up, you know. Yeah. I, th- I, d- I do love a big view. Yes. And I, yeah. and I also love a really white flower, yep. you know, like a nice clean white without other bits in it. Yeah. Um, Craig at Gentiana Nursery, which is just near yeah. your Botanic Gardens, has got a magnolia that is just the purest white, and it's out at the moment. Yeah, mm. abs- and people apparently are coming into the nursery and just, just standing there and just taking just take photos. photos. Yeah, and that's that is an, another thing that has been amazing up there this year is the the magnolias. It's a great time to come up to, to the Dandenongs and, and just drive around. There's magnolias everywhere. Um, Periander Garden has some incredible magnolias, which um, is just beneath Craig. That's right. So Periander yeah. Gardens, which you yeah. also control. Yeah, so that's right. The, the Parks Victoria is the organisation I work for, and we manage eight different gardens properties up in the, the Dandenong Ranges, including there's two Arboretum in there, there's there's uh, George Tyndale Memorial Garden, Perianda Garden, Alfred Nicholas Memorial Garden, the Dandenong Ranges Botanic Garden, and that all have something to offer. And, and it's I think Perianda is um, really – and again, it's another one that's quite steep. Yeah. So you get – <coughs> Excuse me. You get beautiful vistas, and it's and and one of the things I love about Perianda is you can almost stand above the trees. Sometimes, yeah, absolutely, which is fabulous. So you get a better look at them. Yeah, and there's there are some wonderful old trees in there. It's a it's a beautiful garden, and it is that more arboretum style garden. And it's, it's, now, can you tell me, text, or maybe you, Emma, why do some arboretums plant blocks? Of one species, because the Hamer Arboretum has got a block mm. of the Mexican pine, which yeah. is one of my favourite trees, and every one of the 58 of them or whatever's there looks horrible because they're so they're close too to close. each other. Yeah. I think, was the Hamer Arboretum conceived to sort of also study uh, agroforestry uh, in it? So it was it was made to sort of test that style of planting in a sense, um, over time, but it was Arnold Teese that suggested it. He never would have wanted it to look like that. Yeah, oh, look, I can't really. Yeah, I guess none of us can go back in time and and, and answer. But I think all of us have been uh, guilty of planting uh, <laughs> trees too, too close, close to, to get it. too oh, close absolutely. together. But it's but, but yeah. But Canberra's the same. Cam- yeah, yeah, yeah. They which have I done found the same I, when I saw Canberra, I was disappointed because yeah. there's no sense of of um, species mixed up together and variety and yeah. you know it's block, block yeah block. and also some very odd choices of of tree that they've done at the Canberra Arboretum yeah, yeah. and I know that their concept was to be able to show uh, international dignitaries a forest of trees from their home nation. So the the premise was sort of to be uh, international yeah. in our in our offering at the at the National Arboretum. Um, but I would say some of the trees have really not fared well because of the landscape in Canberra. 
um, and those trees just not being a climate match to where they've been yeah. put. But also a monoculture is never going to work as well. No. Yeah. I mean, it's basic horticulture. Yes. That monocultures don't work well. I mean, it's it's permaculture. It's it's agriculture. You know, mix. Yeah. Yeah. But we do it across all all of the uh, agriculture and horticulture industries, don't we? Yeah. We do, we do we do the market garden style style thing for for commercial reasons. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I take the point that in in that sort of arboretum style, yeah, I, I tend to agree there. And that, which is why periander is so delightful mm. because it's because it, it is beautiful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got lawn and then tree specimens, and and you can actually get up and the and same be with, underneath them with your and, botanic gardens. Although there's a, a very much a, a concentration of rhododendrons, things are mixed. Yeah. Things are si- you know different things are sitting yeah. together that's, and talking to each yeah, other. Yeah, and that's something that we're working on more and more and more. You know, is diversifying the collections because because as you said, you know, monoculture planting, it's it's it attracts it, bugs. Well, it's great from a. Uh, impact point of view especially you know when you've got w- one thing and there's a mass of it out in flower or something like that 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 is an incredible impact but as you say yeah it can be you know you've got the same plant that that's uh susceptible to the same diseases susceptible to the same climatic issues mm. all these kind of things are happening and they're happening on a grand scale once you once you've got it all together so as you say for us azaleas azalea lace bug it's a it's a smorgasbord mm. for it so then 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 we don't have the diversity of bugs where you got the predatory bugs coming in and actually and actually sort of controlling. So so yeah, we we are trying to diversify a lot of our planting to 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 better cater for these things. So. This is the Three CR Garden Show. I'm Virginia Haywood, and with me is Emma Heard and Tex Moon. If you'd like to contact us, you can ring us on nine four one nine oh one double five, or text us on oh four double eight eight oh nine eight double five. And if you want to send something for next week, gardening at 3cr.org.au. And I'll just mention a couple of things that are coming up. If you're um, one thing today, do not go near the city (laughs) because it is absolutely jam-packed. There's a big run on. So if you're not involved in the run, well, go, but don't drive through it. Uh, if you are looking for a day out, the Garden Lovers Fair is on at Bolabic at Mount Macedon. It was on yesterday. It is also on today at 370 Mount Macedon Road. And there are two open gardens up there, Lewisham and Durrell, and there will be a courtesy bus running from Bolabic up to the open gardens because, of course, once you get up the mountain, you have problems with traffic as well. So I thought that was really clever of them to do a courtesy bus. Mm. Mm. Next week, Open Gardens has got a garden, Graham Garden, at 22 Rose Street, Bentley, So, which you can look up on the OGV website, Open Gardens Victoria, and we have one, a set, one free double pass to that. So if you want to ring in, you can... If you're quick, you might get the free double pass to 22 Rose Street, Bentley for next week. Next week also the 17th Herb Society conference is on. So look up Herb Society and that will tell you about that. And the next plant fair will be the Yarra Valley Plant Fair, which is on the 5th and 6th of November. So you might wish to put that in in your diary. And that is at 125 Quail Road, Wandon East. So today it's Bollebeck in Mount Macedon, 
which would be a lovely day, a mm. lovely thing to do. Oh, you're going up today, aren't you, Emma? I am. And I'll just mention as well, there's actually a fourth garden open in the Macedon Ranges today. Uh, so if, if three is not enough for you, then Viewfield Garden is also open. And that's at 651 Mount Macedon Road in Mount Macedon. And um, one of uh, one of the lovely... Well, there's three lovely female horticulturalists that work in that garden. So um, I've been told that it's looking lovely at the moment. And, um, yeah, if you've got time, visit that one too. That sounds exciting. I, I mean, spring is a very exciting time. Give me spring or autumn. Yeah. Mm. Other people get terribly keen on summer, but no, spring and autumn for me. Yeah. I love it. I love the change. I love the change of seasons. My garden is... I, it looks wonderful toward the end of winter with camellias and wattles and uh, and grevilleas. There's there's and daffodils everywhere. My garden yeah. looks wonderful, mm. but as they all fade, the next lot comes out, and yeah. you know the the green ix, the, the the aquamarine ixias are just yeah. beginning to come yep. out and. I've got um, to get some of those off of you. Oh, does be- Jane have ixias? Yes, yeah, she. I'll does. buy them off Jane. Yeah. No, we can dig up some of mine as well, of course. Yeah, and got to support, got to support. The oh, and sharing plants. Yes, it's what it's about. Yeah. yeah, I keep Craig keeps digging things up at Long Acres, and he rings me. He says, I've just dug up. Hop in the car off. I, was, <laughs> I ended up at Long Acres at half past seven in the morning. It's such a yep. good time. Because he was picking things, digging yeah. things out. Yeah, and, and the fabulous thing was driving there. I was down to forty k. The fog was yeah. so thick. Yeah, yeah. And going into Long Acres, you could just you could just imagine Arthur Street and living there. It was just so um, misty. Yeah, and mm. these it's, big tall trees. It was just fabulous. There really is something magical about that. That the, the the big mountain ash, the eucalyptus regnans, with the, the the fog sort of rising amongst them is it's a it's yeah we see that quite often and it always takes my breath away. So. Yeah, it is really magical, and of course. Both of you live up there, and I live just behind you. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. We've all we've all made the trek in this morning. Yeah, so. I had one other event I'll mention that's um, an encouraging women in horticulture event. We're hosting a, a day at Specialty Trees, um, who are kindly opening their gates to our cohort of female horticulturalists and enthusiasts so that's on the 21st of October at 10 a.m and if you're interested in coming please email through events at ewha.com.au and the full details are on our website ewha.com.au yes Yes. (laughs) excellent and so Tex you were also uh, talking about the Lamprocapnos. Lamprocapnos, yeah, that's a... Uh, Which is the most horrible name. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it used to be Dicentra. Um, and we can all cope with it as Dicentra. Dicentra, yeah, and uh, it still looks like a Dicentra. But, uh, but yeah, Lamprocapnos uh, spectabilis, which uh, I was talking about because it's just come out in, in my garden at home, and that is one that I bought off uh, Tonkin's Bulbs, So so, and I know that, that she does have, have those in stock. Um, for those that don't know it, it's the, the bleeding heart, um, plant and it's a herbaceous perennial. It's one of those great plants that sort of takes you by surprise all of a sudden because mm. it's a it dies off and is dormant and then and then comes out in spring. And uh, we literally have it in a pot that I'd forgotten about, and then 
all of a sudden they were, they were there, and the flowers are just incredible. The uh, mm. the little little heart shaped pink and, flowers, and and it's and, got this lovely soft foliage yeah. as well, like sort of limey green. Yeah. it's lovely. It reminds me a little bit of Corydalis. Yep, um, with its foliage and just yeah, the flowers are divine. Yeah, but when I was in Alaska. I saw it growing all over Alaska, yep. which raises alarm bells for me. I, I planted it unsuccessfully. Yep. I've got the other dicentra, the American dicentra, yep. growing in my garden, and they're happy as long as I keep them on the east. Yeah. I'm going to try the spectabilis again. Yeah. I, and, people, you don't need to use the Lamprocapnos name because you can still look it up as dicentra yeah, spectabilis. Yeah. Does it have a common name at all? Yeah, the bleeding heart, or and we were looking at it earlier. It's fallopian buds is the other the other fallopian um, buds. Yeah, really? Yeah. Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> it is. It's good, isn't it? Yeah. So, but uh, you know, it's a it's a woodland perennial that so it does need a bit of shade. Needs plenty of food, and Jane will tell you. Jane Thompson will tell you to give yeah. it plenty and plenty of food, as will Craig Wilson. So, so it, uh, it, it it's it's quite quite hungry. Um, Do you know what sort of food does it? It likes you know anything humus and maybe blood and bone. Yeah, yeah, that sort of thing. And I know that it'd be very happy with compost. Yeah, yeah compost and the organic Campbell's organic that that, that Craig and Jane love. Mm. Um, yeah, it's. About sixty centimeters by sixty centimeters. As I say, I've got we've just got ours growing in a pot. I think at some point I will will plant it out into a sort of shady spot in the garden. But um, but you yeah, just have to remember where you put it so got, you don't yeah, dig yeah. it up by accident. Yeah, absolutely. That's what I always have to remember with my hostas as well. I've yeah. got a little section, but it is so tempting to plant other things in there over autumn and winter because it's a bare patch, and yep. I think, oh, I could just plant something. No, no, the hostas are there. <laughs> I think that's actually why if you ever visit Cloud Hill uh, diggers, all, lots of their hostas are in pots yep. and it makes sense to me why they do because then they can, you know, switch them out for something more showy when they're not looking grand. Yep. And we have a request online. Can you, text talk about roadies that are good to grow in Melbourne? Um. Look, there is a there is a range of more heat tolerant ones. Um, the there's a group Yucushimanum, which are or yaks as we all know them, um, which are which are pretty heat tolerant. Um, the best thing that you can do is, and I'll give the Australian Rhododendron Society a plug here. So, so the Rhodi Society do actually sell sell um, that well, they propagate and sell their, their plants and they and, had and, their and spring sale last they, two weeks ago. They did just have their spring sale. That's right. But you can contact them and you can actually look them up online and 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 contact them. So the Australian Rhododendron Society, and they have a range of things, and they're the, they're also the best place to give you the advice that 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 you need on, on what you should and shouldn't grow where. Mm. Um, and also pruning and, and uh, yeah. general feeding. Yeah. They're, they're an incredible source of knowledge and, 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 uh, and the good thing about buying off, off a society like that is that you know that it's going back into, well, funding their society. So it's, and, and also funding works that we can do within the botanic garden as well, because they yeah. are. And they even are conservation. Like, yeah, absolutely. Know? So, so yeah, I, and, and they're an old society. Yeah, I mean, you know, they've been going a long time, and they've done some amazing things. Actually, getting the rhododendron garden started is a huge feat. Absolutely, yes. mm. and Absolutely. they're why we have 
the magnificent garden we have today. Absolutely. So, And um, somebody from Fernie Creek has texted in to remind us that there's a Fernie Creek show on the 22nd and 23rd of October on the Saturday, 12 till 4, on the Sunday, 10 a.m. till 4. That is 100 Hilton Road, Sassafras. So another one in the in the Dandenongs. So that's the Fernie Creek Horticultural Society show. And it, if you have never been there, it is a fabulous garden. It is quite a big garden and it is absolutely well worth a walk around. So that is on the 22nd and 23rd of October. They yeah. also have a website. And mm. somebody else has texted in, in fact, Tessa from Hopper's Crossing, saying that she went to the Yu Yangs last weekend for a walk and on the way they passed carloads of people who were stopping and having selfies taken around the paddocks full of canola. Oh, yeah. <laughs> canola is, yeah, yeah. In, in Europe they call it rape, rape mm, oil. Yeah. Here we call it canola oil and it does have a brilliant yellow flower and yes. all these people are hopping out of their cars. Mm. I, I do have fond memories of that as a child. Yeah, a yeah, monocrop. Yeah, we... Uh, <laughs> My my dad comes from Forbes in sort of central New, New South Wales and they, we used to go up there a lot and there's uh, paddocks and paddocks of it at a certain time of year and you could almost have, there'd be the one paddock that was canola, the next paddock that was resting was Patterson's Curse. Oh, gosh. So you had this incredible, it's a weed, we, we all know that, but it's this incredible gold, and, and purple, a, gold, purple um, mosaic. It would be of, beautiful. Yeah. And, of course, Patterson's Curse is a salvia. Mm. Yeah. And it is, And it does have that wonderful... Um, bluey purple must have looked wonderful yes yes but it is a curse yes mm. yes although they call it where they don't call it Patterson's. salvation jane yeah they call it salvation jane so it's not like all weeds some yeah. places it's not a weed and where is it called that that i cannot remember mm. okay i'd have to look that up but do, do they call it that because it's it's a uh, a crop or edible or like why, why do well, they call it that i mean a lot of salvias are herbal okay so it could well be that but, right. uh, medicinal it, maybe, mm, but one would have to look it up. I'm yeah, afraid I don't sure. know. Interesting. Yeah. Yes, it is interesting, I, and I love it. You know, mm. Patterson's Curse, Salvation Jane, the same plant. Mm. Yeah, and it tells you why sometimes we use the Latin names for plants. Yes. Yeah, definitely. Because you wouldn't think it was the same plant. Yeah. Now we have another message, which is partly to you, text from um, some of uh, some. Our regular listeners, mm. big thanks to Jane Tonkin, her partner Kirill and Tex Moon and the other helpers at the tour of the bulb farm yesterday that was a Radiothon purchase. We met Chloe Foster's mum there too. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And that's, that's from Peter and Vicky who are regular listeners. Yeah, okay. Oh. Uh, it, I, was, I was there and I, was, I sort of came in the back door for that one. I, I, uh, so it was, a, it was a great thing to, to be part of actually and to see – Jane and Kirill doing their thing is 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 pretty amazing. They and and their their nursery is incredible to go to at the moment because they've just got these shade houses full of of wonder. There's just so many different things, and and I'm so out of my league in the, in in that kind of range of plants. That so so for me, it's it's just to listen to them talking is is incredible, and they really were in their elements element, and you know, so bulbs, perennials. And then the the terrestrial orchids that so Kirill Jane's partner is is incredible on his native native orchids. So he's very knowledgeable. Yeah. So I mean, the two of them together are just breathtaking. Mm. Yeah, 
and and they put on a great spread and we walked around drinking wine and, and looking <laughs> at plants. So it's, it was a pretty good day. <laughs> so I was going to go, but of course, because yesterday I was really worried about this cold, so I thought, no, I won't be welcome. <laughs> I think I'd better stay away. Because I, I, I love Jane's and I love going to Gentiana Nursery for the same reason, that there are just plants there I don't know. Yeah. I love being able to go. Mm. And Stephen's Nursery in Macedon, I love going to a nursery where there are things I don't know and mm. I have to ask questions. Yeah. I think that's the thing about why we do what we do, isn't it? You, you never stop learning. And and I think that's a, a, a wonderful thing to be able to offer yourself is you just you, every, every step of the way you just think, oh. I, I don't know anywhere near enough, but but you you're constantly learning and constantly being surprised by things. So it's it's a it's well, a great thing. I mean, one of the things that surprised me yesterday, there is a garden in Fitzroy, and I was walking the dog, and I, when I'm walking the dog, I always walk past this garden. It's only small; it's a front garden. And two weeks ago, they had a lapageria mm. in full flower, which yep. I think is extraordinary in yep. Melbourne. I've oh. just planted one. I'm very yeah. excited to see how it goes. Fingers crossed the deer don't <laughs> yeah, yeah. eat it. It's a very beautiful, very, very waxy flower. Yeah. Um, and, and it's a big flower, a trumpet. It's a long and it's a climber. trumpet. Yep. A coral-coloured uh, five petals, I think. And they're, they're beautiful long petals, a bit like a, like a giant fuchsia or a bellflower. Mm. It, Really gorgeous. Very gorgeous. And my experience is that they're not that easy to grow in Melbourne mm. because I think they might even – they come from high in mm. Chile. Yeah. Cloud forests. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah. yes, absolutely. But um, there's this um, – and so I'm, I'm, I'm leaning over the fence just looking at this <laughs> and then I noticed a herbaceous pe- peony in full flower – I thought, am I in Fitzroy? Yeah. <laughs> I was it, yeah. so surprised. Did you get to meet your neighbour? Did you get to have a chat? No, I've never seen anybody oh. there. And the garden is, you know, it's just, fa- I mean, there's lots of roses and she's got a hanging orchid that is just blissful. Mm. And I presume it's a she. Listen to the assumption I made. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> was it a cymbidium orchid or? Um, no, no, no. no. It, but it was, it was. Oh, it was wonderful. Mm. But the, the peony, I mean, I'm always saying to people, oh, don't try and grow herbaceous in Melbourne. Mm. Oh, you can grow a tree peony yeah. or you can dro- grow the new ones that are, are crossed peonies. Like the itos? The itos, yeah. Yeah. which are a cross of herbaceous and tree peonies. Yep. But this was a straight herbaceous straight. Yeah, peony right. in full mm. flower in Fitzroy. Because you do need a, the cold snap. Over over winter to to, mm. to get them flowering, so it'd be interesting to know how they what they're doing, how they're treating it, whether they are. I we do. were talking about having this very conversation yesterday about about actually putting ice around your yeah. your, your peonies in winter, so to just to get that to to shock them into their, their I, flowering. <laughs> I was just going to say that exact thing. Yeah, I put ice on my peonies in I, in Olinda. Well, it's a habit because I used to live in Thornbury. Um, you but definitely need to do it in Thornbury. Yeah, in yeah. Thornbury I did it and it did work. Um, I don't do it so much anymore in Alinda, but because I have a peony in my courtyard still, I still do it to that one. Um, and it, it does improve them. They're flowering and they're vigour. Yeah. 
overall. So, so when I say ice, I also mean get an old ice cream container. Don't just use your regular ice blocks. Yep. Grab an ice cream container, uh, fill it with water, freeze it, and pop it on your peony anytime in winter, really. Yep. Choose the coldest time because yes. it, you'll, you'll get the most out of your ice. Yeah. <laughs> so. And that'll help. Well, one of the things I saw, which I thought was extraordinary, I went on a, a tour with um, Botanic Garden Guides to a peony farm down the peninsula, which struck me as an unusual... I mean, yeah. if you were going to do something commercial, mm. why would you do it in somewhere where it wasn't appropriate? Mm. And she has, she has paddocks of peonies and she puts ice on them all. Oh, wow, really? that's... That's impressive. Which I thought was a bit crazy myself. Yeah. Yeah, it's an interesting thing, isn't it? Because, yeah, here we will. We'll all sit here and talk about putting the plant in the right place. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I guess if you're willing to do the uh, the groundwork, it seems a well, little unsustainable. Well, she's determined, if nothing else. Yeah. <laughs> it just strikes me that one of the things that you learn as you become – Mm. serious about growing is that you actually need to work with your environment. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I met some lovely people that purchased a block of land um, not far from where we are um, in Alinda and they had wanted to grow olives. Their original intent was let's start an olive farm and they they just knew nothing about agriculture or horticulture yeah. and and they learned pretty quickly oh olives are not no. that's not going to work out but they're they're Too wet. yes mm. but they're figuring it out they're they're sort of switching but i think it really takes time if you're going to start a venture like that um to really think about the land yeah do your research do look, look at where these things come from in their, in their native mm. range but always the first thing when I have a new plant is I look where it comes from yeah. yeah that tells me because for my place my first question is can you survive north winds yep. yeah that's my it's not do you need shade or sun yeah it's can you survive north winds so first I work out which side of the house it can grow on yeah yeah then I work out whether it wants shade or whether it wants Mm. Um, sun, etc., etc. Yep. And the way you find these out is work out where it comes from. Where does it live? Oh, it yeah. lives and up the top of the Andes. Mm. Yeah. yeah. I don't think it's like a hot north wind. <laughs> and as horticulturalists, you know, we've all participated in wishful thinking in our own yeah, gardens. Yeah, yeah. We've all planted things, yeah. but you do learn as you go along, and eventually, you know, it's just important to pick the right plant for the the climate, the situation. It's a good point. We're all being uh, being very high and mighty about putting it, but but there's nothing wrong with experimenting a bit either. We, <laughs> oh, all, no. we, all, we all love well, to do that. That's and that's the fun. Yeah, yes. that's yeah. right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. But I don't know a whole farm of No, no. Yeah. <laughs> no. We've, we've got a lovely message. She doesn't say who from. Hi, Virginia. I know of a massive white lapageria in East Oakley, mm. a pink herbaceous peony that flowers heavily in Glen Iris, and I have a friend who has a large amount of lily of the valley that flower every year, and she bought them from Aldi of all places. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love to hear it. I love to hear of of unlikely treasures uh, yeah. in Melbourne. And obviously good gardeners, you know, obviously yeah. people that whatever their climate or, you know, microclimate in their own garden, they know what these plants need. Mm. Yeah. And, and creating a microclimate. Mm. Yes. 
And well, this garden that I'm talking about in Fitzroy it faces south, mm. which you would think would be problematic. Mm. But the roses along the fence, of course, get the the late western the western sun. Yeah. Um. And and the lapageria is right back against the house, yeah. so it doesn't get any sun. I mean, it's it's a small space, and she uses it so cleverly. Yeah. yeah. And obviously, these ones that you know. As you say, people have worked out how to make that microclimate. Yeah. We've got another another <laughs> text in. Speaking of salvias, where can you get white sage? Oh, our Forest Edge Permaculture Nursery has some in Callista. Yep. Um, I don't know of any other places. Which white sage? Um, See, there. I mean, yeah. my, my response was which white sage? I mean, there's the... White lucantha, the Mexican sage, which you can get white and you can get white with a flash of pink. Mm. Then there's the apiana, which is planted in the botanic gardens and is beautiful. But And that's that's a white sage. Um, you know, there are a few different white sages. Yeah. Do you want them little or do you want them big? Mm. I know Craig at Gentiana sells quite a lot of salvias. Okay. Well... I'd have to look up the specific one that um, Forest Edge has because I don't know which one it is. Um. Yes, it's an interesting one. Well, we might get somebody might ring in and give us a story on white sages, which would be a good thing because, and of yeah. course, uh, if you ask about white sage, you will also find um, people will talk about the very grey leafed, pale. Yeah. You know, because some, some sages. Have got, I mean, all sages are salvias, and I suppose all salvias are sage. I don't know. Salvia is the is is the botanical name for sage, and you do get um, quite very very pale grey leaves on some of them as well. So that's an interesting one, which we haven't been very helpful on. Why <laughs> white sage? And then the next one. Ah, she's come back. The sage that is used for smudging ceremonies. I was, I was, I was wondering if there yeah. might have been some smudging going on. I think that is apiana, isn't it? Yeah. I have no idea. Text suggests it's um, salvia apiana, which is a really nice sage and it's, it, it also is a very good one for slightly tough areas. It'll grow without much water and, yeah. and lots of sun. I would think forest edge is a good, good yeah. place to start as... And yeah. that is in Callista. In Callista, um, yeah. Tamara Griffith is the the proprietor there, and she's really lovely. She's very knowledgeable, and um, you could just give her a call if you um, if you want to know the exact variety that she holds. And our next text. Good morning. I hope you're enjoying the beautiful weather. Well, we certainly are. It's, I, I know water is good, but you can sometimes feel there's been a little too much rain. <laughs> yeah. Heaven forbid. We never thought we'd be saying that. <laughs> I know. It's <laughs> extraordinary. Can you please recommend a plant to go in a pot on the front porch of a Melbourne home? It's undercover and south-facing. Something big and leafy. Mm. Maybe like a fatsia? Fatsia japonica. Fatsia japonica. Yes, that's the tropical end. I would have thought a hydrangea. Sure. Would as big and leafy and mm. would go. Yeah, most definitely. Or Cuba is another one, the mm. gold dust. Yeah, that plant. would be nice. 
Aucuba, A U C U B A. Yep. It's the one Texas mm. City. Aucuba Japonica. Um, oh, there's lots, isn't there? I know Craig mm. sells that one. I don't. I hate that plant because it's used in London very much for yep. um, for council planting. So yep. you know, it's, it's planted around toilet blocks. <laughs> what about Bartlettonia? Bartlettina, sorry. Yeah, it used to be Eupatorium. Um, it's mm. a great, it's a yeah, it's a great big leafed um, plant, and and then gets a beautiful purple fairy floss flowers as well. Yeah. I would be worried it might be too big for a pot. Mm. Depends how big the pot is. Yeah, mm. it certainly doesn't mind a, a cutback. Different types of plectranthus might suit as well. All the plectranthus, yeah. like shade. So that is a really good idea because they won't, I mean, up our way they get battered in winter, but they won't get battered in Melbourne. I mean, I like Plectranthus eclonii, but that... Which grows quite tall mm. and, and they most of them flower in winter. Yeah. I, my favourite is the Plectranthus, um, oh, one of the African ones, so of course I've gone completely blank. Is it Zuluensis? Zuluensis, yes. Yeah. I think it it has a lovely flower, but the it's dainty, isn't it? Mm. The thing Pretty. with plectranthus is you've got tall ones that will sit a good will grow up to a good five foot, and then you've got ground cover ones. So if you look up plectranthus, you'll get a lot of choice, and they like shade, and they don't need huge amounts of water. Whereas a yeah. hydrangea and a bartlettina, I think, would want a lot of water. Mm. Yep. So, yes, and the other one, of course, is hit some of the more unusual nurseries and ask them about their shade plants. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. It's, yeah, go, it's the journey of discovery, isn't it? Like mm. there, there, is, there is a lot on offer. I was even thinking tetrapanics or something like that. It could mm. be an interesting one. But, but, yeah. And if they, I mean, one thing I grow in a fairly pretty shady area is the, one of the New Zealand fuchsias. Oh, yeah. It has the smallest flower you've ever seen. Yep. Uh, and it needs a bit of attention to get it going because it, being an, a New Zealander, it wants a bit of um, water. But it's it's gorgeous because it drapes. Yeah, we've got that in a hanging basket too. I can't remember. What's the species of that? Decumbens. Okay. Fuchsia decumbens, I think. Procumbens. Procumbens. Yeah. Yes. We almost got there. Yeah. So that fuchsia is an interesting one to um, to consider. What about like a silver-leafed sort of thing? In dark, shaded areas, you could try like Plectranthus argentea. That's quite a nice one. Or um, is it stro- Strobilanthes? Strobilanthes, yeah. That could be nice because if it's in a shady porch, <laughs> it's quite nice to have something with a with a white, silvery leaf. Yes, and there's also a, um, a very um, dark, purpley leafed strobilanthes as well. Yeah, there is. So, like. mm. so hopefully you wrote a few of those down because we, we're not going to be able to remember what we just said. Uh, <laughs> we've, we've just rattled off quite a few, but uh, but uh, well, listen yeah, to the enjoy podcast. Your, enjoy your googling. <laughs> yeah. Needless to say, our open gardens tickets for next weekend have gone. Okay. Good. Good. Yes. Well, open gardens. It's wonderful that we have open gardens. You know, we need to value our gardens and yes. we need to value those gardens that have developed some age and have got old trees in them. Yeah, yeah, that's very true. And especially as some of those old trees are coming to the ends of their life, 
good to try and harvest seed from them and see if they can be, you know, live on through a next generation. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Now, have we got oh, the other plant? I was just going to ask, what's the next plant we're going to talk about? And I know I mentioned this last time I came in, but this has been such a year for them, the Stachyurus. Mm. I was walking past Parliament the other day, heading down to go to the conference. So yep. I'm walking down the back of the Parliament building and there's this Stachyurus on the fence and it just looks absolutely fabulous. These, It's like a Garia elliptica. Yeah. But the hanging flowers are much more interesting than Garia's. Yep. And then I stopped to have a cup of coffee <laughs> and this man was walking into one of the hotels with a whole lot of flowers to, you know, put in the hotel somewhere and he had a stacky in there. And I said, oh, you've got a stacky in. You know what it is. Said, the stacky is time to shine. Yes. And what do, do either of you know where they – I mean, clearly Parliament, they're doing well. So I've Melbourne got, in general, they like. I've, there's another one in Clifton Hill at the top of Gold Street, which mm-hmm. is fabulous. It's, yep. it's against a wall, so it's quite wide and it's tall. Mm-hmm. There's and, one in my garden. And I know, I think they like quite rich soil is my my experience with them, but prepared to be told otherwise. That, I mean, my, obviously, having that red mountain soil, mm, my, yeah. my garden's rich. We're, we're spoiled for soil up there, so. Yeah. But uh, safe to say, if you do want to plant a Stachyurus, uh compost would do. Well, it is a native to Japan, so it's another one that's not going to welcome hot north winds. Mm. Yep. And both the one that I walked past at the back of Parliament House... And the one I've seen in Clifton Hill are both either very protected or shade. facing south. Mm. Mm. Yeah, they like the shade, mm. uh, especially the afternoon shade. You know, they can take the morning sun. But, but yeah. it is. It's a, an exciting, exciting plant. Speaking mm. of trees native to plants, it was one of the – we were talking about the Congress that we were all at earlier in the show but that we've just come from this last week. But one of the one of the presentations I went to that was – it was all about the conservation of magnolias, and the startling thing that you had just never—I'd never thought of, or wouldn't have ever occurred to me—magnolia stellata, one of the most common plants in 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 horticulture and in in people's gardens, is nearly extinct in the wild in mm. Japan, mm. and it's it's so just so crazy to think of these things that are so common, but yet in their in their, in their native range are, are almost gone. So it's, yes. Yeah. Yes, well, there is a, a – I can't think of the name of it, but there's a, a hanging plant you often see where, which has got um, a, a golden flower that's a sort of almost like a claw. Oh. And it it comes from the Canaries, and I know it is extinct yeah. in the wild, and you can buy it. You know, it's one of those ones that you'll suddenly see in, in Safeways. Yep. Or somewhere like that, or Aldi, <laughs> you know. So it's very common – but completely extinct in the wild. Yeah. Which is tragic. Well, Frank, Frank Linnea is another one, which is a, the camellia family. So it's in a lot of botanic gardens and places like that around the world, but it's it's extinct in the wild. So, yeah. Mm. yeah. And what you hope is that people are wanting are trying to put it back. Yeah. Well, you, and, and you hope that there's enough genetic diversity to do so, to make it worthwhile. 
Mm. And, of yeah. course, the other thing that's happening up in the Dandenongs at the moment is Tessalar's Tulip Festival. Yes. Which mm. is just a mass of flowers. It's yeah. lovely to see just paddocks and paddocks of tulips. It's really quite exciting. Yeah, it's a great time to come up the hill, up to the Dandenongs. There's 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 so much on and it's uh, you just got to pick your timing and, and – uh, and be patient because the traffic on weekends is is Can pretty hectic and Just and yeah. A word to the wise: be patient with cyclists. I know some road users are not fans of cyclists. Well, if you're coming to the hills or or just anywhere in general, get over it. You know, <laughs> cyclists have a right to be on the road too, and. Very dangerous situations can take place, especially on the windy roads in our area. So just be patient and take your time. Enjoy looking at the trees. Yes. And uh, and the road. And the road. <laughs> and the road. Um, and one other item, if you're going to Periander Garden, don't take Hackett's Road unless you have a four-wheel drive. We, yeah, come from the top side. Don't yeah. come from the bottom side at yeah. all. Yeah, yeah. You just come enter from Alinda Monbolk Road and then turn down Hackett's Road, and it's and it's there. But then come back out the same way because yeah, that road can be yeah just perilous. Some, some local guidance because yeah. r- recently with the storms, the the gravel it, yeah. it's a very steep road and the gravel has gotten worse in its. In its coverage of the road, that's, there are huge divots. That's probably a good point. That if you, if when you're coming up there, don't always trust your GPS. Yes, um, it's a, the, the check the roads before you are, and, and usually it's probably best to stay to the main roads so where you can. I have to say, it is absolutely best to stay yeah. on the main roads yeah. because roads just disappear. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah, and uh, and last was it last Thursday or the Thursday before? It was, was the Queen's the Queen's the Queen's morning day. The it was whatever uh, it was called the public the short notice public holiday that we had. It was it was the whole bedlam of the Dandenong yeah. just were gridlocked. Yeah, and there's there are there's wildlife on these roads too. Yeah. There's cyclists. There's and they're they're not the best roads. So just be careful. Take it easy. <laughs> Good point. Be patient. You, you, and when you're you have choice, a, come up during the week. Come up during yeah. the week, when absolutely. Come up early, come up during the week and, yeah. and, and just and if you do come up on a weekend, as you say, as we say, just be patient with everyone. Yeah. Now we have a few calls, so I will switch over. Ooh, callers. Yes. This is exciting. Hello, Thomas. Hello, Virginia. How are Emma? you? And text. How Hello. are you? Hello. Um I've uh, Growing up through a gum club tree next Thomas, to can you talk into the phone a bit more? Well, yeah, it's I'll just try. coming through very better? quiet. Is that better? Not much. Are you on? Are you on speaker? Hang on. I want to say to everybody who rings in, please don't go on speaker because it does make it difficult for the radio. I'm not on speaker. You're not on speaker. Well, you'll just have to yell at no, us. No, I'm Thomas. not on speaker. Maybe That's maybe better. Just, just yell at line. us, dear. Pardon? Yell at us. Uh, I, and look, it's basically a, a plant or a shrub growing up through a kumquat tree. The mm. little stems are mauve or purple, and the flowers are white, and there's five pebbles, and it's got the most intense scent. And it starts about August and goes through September. Sounds lovely. Yeah. Is it so, some sort of jasmine? I don't know. It's it's a sort of it's got a it's purple. It's sort of mauve and white. The little flowers are all white, and the stems are all purple or mauve. I, I think and it is, it is a climber. It is, or is, 
Yeah, it's a climber. Yeah, okay. I suspect if it has got a really strong smell and there's <laughs> that purple flash in in the um, in the rest of it, I mm. suggest it will be the jasmine because it does have a wonderful smell. As in the smell. star of jasmine or the actual? No, no the, the actual, actual jasmine. Yeah. I yep. think it's probably a yeah, it, it could be a good one to, to email through the photo because it would be one that we'd, we'd probably be able to identify fairly mm. quickly. But, but yeah. Also, send me a photo of it and I'll give you a ring. <laughs> I haven't got a clue. Oh, no, yes, do you don't know how to do any of that, do you? No, don't. Oh, I'm, don't sure, I'm sure, Thomas, it is a jasmine. Off. And the other thing with the jasmine, it's quite a good idea to prune it after it's flowered. Because Hang eventually, on, it's not my tree. It's the next door neighbour's tree. Oh well, that's all right then. Yeah. It's just that they can strangle the, a tree if you do, don't ever prune yeah. them. Yeah, no, that does sound like jasmine. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's a uh, jasminum azoricum. Yeah. So that sounds well, wonderful. Well, thank you for thank you for Junior, Emma, <laughs> and text. Thanks, thanks for your help. Thanks, thank thank you. you. About the bad line. That's, that's all right, darling. Bye. And our next call is Fernie from Fermi. For me, from yep. Fernie, <laughs> get all my M's and M's together. Hi, Fermi. Hello, Fermi. Oh dear. No. I think. I think. Well, let me just have an investigation. Okay. And we're going to talk. We're getting hand signals from uh, Virginia. I think is that is that we've yes, we got to keep exactly. keep talking. Um, We've yeah. got some other lovely rhododendrons here in this bucket. One with a particularly large white flower. Oh, okay. We can that's go for, quite impressive. We can go for that one. So that again, part of the Medinia subsection of rhododendrons, and that one is rhododendron nuttali. Um, usually, it does have an incredible fragrance, and they are huge, um, singular trumpet um, white flowers. Um, and quite, a gorgeous yellow center. Yeah, you know, right down the throat of the trumpet. Yep, there's beautiful yellow and and slight pink flush through the white trumpet as well. It's really gorgeous. Yeah, they are they they are beautiful. And I'm going to have another go at getting Fermi. All right, we'll shut our traps now. <laughs> Let's hope. Hello, Fermi. Are you there? No, I can't find him. So hello. Oh, oh there oh, we are. We <laughs> Hi, Fermi. Sorry, I was having trouble picking you up. Oh, you gone. there? He's gone again. Oh. Uh, so, what, Fermi? Could you ring us back, darling? I'm not quite sure what I did, but I obviously did something wrong. And we might now try and go to Jamie in where's Jamie in our in our Coburg. Hello, Jamie. Are you there? I'm here. Oh, oh, excellent. We're very pleased. I was just looking for Fermi, but I came back. <laughs> yeah, you Hi, and Jamie. me both. <laughs> I, um, I called last week about uh, wasabi. And, um, ah, uh, yes, wasabi. So Chloe let me know that Emma uh, got one from Poynton's. So I went to Poynton's the next day and got a fantastic wasabi. Plant. Oh, good. I'm glad. And a, a, a remarkably good breakfast and coffee, I might add. Yes. <laughs> yes, the, the Poynton's is wonderful and the, the whole team at Poynton's are a very, very helpful crowd. I went there once about 20 years ago, but I was glad to go again. Oh, good. I'm so glad to hear you got a wasabi. And did you find any other lovely plants there? 
Oh, yeah, I got a, I got a comfrey last year through you too as well um, from a lady in Queensland, the good gardener, Jane, someone. Oh, good. And oh, what was that? Up. What was the plant? Comfrey. comfrey. Oh, comfrey, yes. Mm. Knit yeah, bone. <laughs> that is so useful. Mm. And it's very good for your compost. Well, it just came back this week from the pot where I, I, um, I got three and I gave one each to my daughters. So they thought they died and threw them away. Yes. Uh. Oh, that's yes. a shame. Hey, is your comfrey back? Oh, we threw it away. We thought it was dead. <laughs> what do you like to cook with it? Uh, well, comfrey, what I like doing is making a thick batter and uh, dipping the, uh, the hairy side of the leaf in and then shallow frying it for about one minute and it's like fish. Oh, so mm. like tempura. Yeah. Exactly. You put salt and lemon on it. Yum. You can do that with borage as well. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Hey, um... Wasabi, should I put it in a bigger pot? Sure, yeah. Uh, what size pot is it in at the moment? Uh, 14 centimetre. Yeah, I think you could go up a size. And it likes to have a saucer of water under it. Yep. Yes, good. Well, it has. So it's definitely not something that goes into the ground? No. Well, I haven't got any ground, so that's handy. <laughs> <laughs> that makes it very easy. Sounds it? like the right plant for you then. Are you growing it indoors? Oh, no, no. I, I, I sort of move it around outside in the common area. Oh, good. Oh, people good. like them. It <laughs> sounds like you're, you're, you know, a gardener just like against all odds. It's impressive. Yeah. I've, I've had permaculture things in the past going where I, when I lived in, you know, New South Wales and so on. But um, um, can, I, can I split that, divide the uh, wasabi, say, so, Next year? Mm, next year, yeah. I wouldn't do it this year. Oh, no. I think it's a bit, because it's at its prime at the moment, it's putting energy into creating more of its roots as well as its foliage. So let it repot it this year, let it grow on. And when you split it, you can maybe harvest a little bit from it, but you'll be able to tell, you know, when you start to look at the root system whether you think it's it's possible to take any from it. And yeah. and can you not layer it? Yes. You, well, it will make little pups this probably this year. So you can, you know, a bit like you do with strawberry runners. It's already kind of, um, it's all right, really skinny little stems with little leaves on them. Yeah, yeah. Well, so, the, uh, the fat ones, you know, the, the big um, pumpkin-like leaves. yes. Well, the, the skinny stems with the little runners, if you get another pot of soil and just sort of dibble them in, you'll oh. get another plant. Oh, really? Yeah. And that's, <laughs> I think, Jamie, I think that's the easiest way to reproduce oh, yeah. it. Because yeah. then um, when, you, when it's actually big enough to split, you can actually harvest a bit if you're managing to, to get new plants from the pups. Yeah. And speaking... Speaking generally, about five years is a good time to harvest from the original plant. Oh, okay, because I've already taken a couple of big leaves off and chopped them up into salads and so on. Oh, yeah, the leaves, definitely, but more so, I mean, the roots. Yeah, yeah, I'll have to learn how to treat them, but, Mm. oh, well, I just wanted to uh, say thanks for that. um, That's fantastic. Thanks very much, Jamie. Oh, the comfrey's back. (laughs) Yes, That's good too. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. Bye. 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 And now we're going to make 
another valiant attempt to get hold of Fermi. Hello, Fermi. Are you there? Hello, Virginia. Oh, it's so hey, nice Fermi. to hear your voice. Hello, team. Hi. I don't know what happened there. It just sort of uh, dropped out altogether. I know. I think it's probably um, error at this end, I'm afraid. <laughs> okay. Oh, well, I was, I was first going to say um, I was always told never ingest comfrey. It's all—it's only supposed to be put on the surface. It, it's one of those things. I remember this from years ago. Um, they did yeah. some experiment with comfrey and then announced that it causes cancer. Now, it's called yeah. knit bone because if you use a poultice, it will help a broken bone. Yeah, yeah. But when you looked at the research, what they were doing was injecting comfrey into rats or whatever they were doing their experiment on. It wasn't giving said animal one piece of comfrey to eat mm. in a week. Mm. So I think I think that you mustn't ingest comfrey because you'll get cancer is actually from a piece of research that was intravenously using comfrey, which is something none of us do. But mm. but a very good point. Always do your research first. Yeah. Uh, I, know, I know that um, there was a really good um, healing balm made with comfrey yeah. that I used to get from the... Uh, the uh, health food shop that was a really great thing. So, yes, yeah. well, that's for inflammation and and pain relief and stuff. It's it's, it's a great yeah. The topical yeah. application with cream is fantastic. Yeah, knit bone exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway, what I was phoning about was the Fernie Creek uh, show coming up in a couple of weeks, three weeks. Mm. Well, we we did. Uh, Virginia did mention it. Uh, yes. Can you mention yeah. the dates again, though, Fermi? Yeah, the 22nd and the 23rd mm-hmm. up at Fernie Creek. For those, and I'm always surprised that there are people who have never heard of Fernie Creek or never been to Fernie Creek. And admittedly, I lived in Melbourne for, I think, uh, I think I was in my 20s before I even realised that Fernie Creek existed. And, um, and I'm always meeting people up there who had said, oh, we've never knew this place was here. And, um, yeah, it's, it's quite a, Quite a thing if people um, can 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 come up there. It should mm. be quite a good um, show because this is our ninetieth um, year. Yeah, you know, Fernie Creek and the ABC turn ninety. So um, <laughs> yeah, I, I've been told there's going to be a, something special happening, but mm-hmm. I haven't been told what. Oh, okay, that's a good carrot to dangle. <laughs> yeah, and it, it is a great garden, and it's a great society, and, and those the those days are fantastic. And yeah. it's that the um you did say the ABC ninety year celebration along with Fernie Fernie Creek, but there was the Great Gardening Australia show. Uh, Shot episode of, of uh, the Fernie Creek Hort Society show, and and that's, you can't. I think you can go back and watch watch those. So it is well worth a, a watch. Yeah, because I, it, I, it, I think they they filmed for two days and did about ten minutes. <laughs> yeah, and, which is and it was sort of like oh, the, a lot of the stuff that people thought might get on just didn't get on. So, always the way. Yeah, yeah. but yeah, but uh, they did. Uh, a great interview with Jane Tonkin, who was there doing a. Um, she had because uh, they came up during the uh, the plant expo in March, yeah. And um, they interviewed yes, we Jane Tonkin. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it was a. Uh, it was quite a. Um, I mean, it was good that they did it, and uh, you know, it's just great coincidence that we turned ninety the same year they did. So, but yeah. And well, we'll all be there. Yeah. Yeah. 
Mm. Oh, good. And uh, and I do every time I go, I seem to meet people who listen to the show, yep. which is really oh, lovely. And it's a yeah good thing to to be a part of as well. So you can actually yeah. obviously yeah, you guys will be se- selling memberships there on the day, and we're probably all members, are we? Yep. Yeah. Without adding any, I'm definitely we're a member. We're, so. all, we're members. all members. Yep. Although I will say I do need to come and contribute to you know gardening more often. <laughs> The working bees and things yes, like that. It exactly. Is, it is a totally volunteer-run run organization. Yeah. So, uh, you know, we don't have any paid members. Um, How big is the site? Pardon? How big is the site? Oh, a few hectares. I'm not sure. I've never known those Because it is, it is a big garden. Yeah. Mm. It is, it's a fantastic yeah. garden to walk around. Yeah, and they yeah. have some special collections of their own. Oh yeah, there was. Um, look, there were, it it depended on who was involved at the time because there was a great South African um, section with proteas yeah. and things like that. Because at the time there was a couple of members who were originally from South Africa, and of course they loved South African flora, and so they really promoted that. Uh, at another time, there were people who really loved heathers, and, and Fernie Creek did hold the heather collection for Plant Trust. You still do. Uh, so I think you probably still do, yeah. yes. And, uh, yeah, so, you know, there, it depends. It's driven by the members. It's not like there's a, um, you know, uh, a government directive to say you should plant this or you should plant that. And the amazing thing is that Fernie Creek owned the hall, so, and that wonderful hall was really instigated by George Tyndale, who the Tyndale Gardens are named after. Mm, another um, lovely garden to visit yeah. in the Dandenong yes, Ranges. Yes, that is another one. And, uh, yeah, so there's there's plenty of stuff to do up there. But, uh, yeah, the but Ferny Creek, the grounds are crowned land. So there was there was a huge worry during the, particularly during the 80s, um, we won't mention who was premier <laughs> then, and, uh, where they actually were worried that they were going to um, rescind their um, their right to be there. So um, you know, and he would have that particular um, yeah. premier would have wanted to build flats on it. Probably, yeah. So you know, it's um, it's just an amazing um, the the history of the Danningongs uh, is just amazing. I mean, I knew Ruth Tyndale very well, George's widow, yep. and. Um, she was saying how when George on his deathbed made her promise not to subdivide the garden because that was what was happening back in the 60s and 70s was that mm-hmm. people had these huge, um, you know, hilled gardens and they would, um, when on their death or, you know, when they needed money, they were, you know, asset rich and, you know, funds poor. So they would subdivide the gardens. That's what, what happened to so much of the Danielongs. And Ruth realised the only way she could keep the garden together was to give it away. Mm. And so she gave it to the the state of Victoria, I think under, I think, I can't remember what it is, but it's under Parks Victoria now. Yep. Maybe and, they and, all cottoned on to that because it's, mm. you know, Alfred Nicholas got donated yeah. to the state. And, yeah, the Ansel. Yeah. yeah. And Perianda. Yeah. yeah. Perianda, yeah. yeah. And, and it is so, such an incredible collection of gardens and it's and it's worth everyone keeping all of these in their mind because, as we said, when you do come up and it's really busy, you, you may not get to the Dandenong Ranges Botanic Garden, but you can turn off and go to George Tyndale mm. Memorial Garden or you can go to Perianda and they do tend to mm. be 
a lot quieter than the big, than the two bigger ones. So yeah, and you can do one at a time. You know, yeah. they're yeah. they're almost all gardens that you need to spend a whole day in each of yeah. them. Especially yeah. the especially um, the Daniel Ranger's Botanic Garden. That yeah. <laughs> it's huge. <laughs> yeah. It was interesting about the the Rhododendron Society was originally um, an offshoot of Ferny, Ferny Creek, Creek as well. Yep. Because yeah, um, I think that was um, there was a bit of an acrimonious split there, but <laughs> I think after about fifty years they were able to start <laughs> working together. Yeah, again. yeah. <laughs> yeah, and there's a few. There's there's plenty of members that cross both these days. I think so. Oh, oh yeah. So yeah. and it, and it really is a testament to like I mean it's incredible. Ninety years is is one of is such a yeah. big achievement for for a society like like Ferny Creek and still going strong. Yeah. So yeah. so yeah. Um, yeah. The the Rhododendron Society uh, branched off from strong stock. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Can't resist a plant pun. Sorry. <laughs> But, and also I think we, we need to mention that Diggers is now um, preserving gardens. Yep. Yeah. Cloud, Cloud Hill is with Diggers and the St Earth. Yeah. And we don't have a long tradition in Australia of preserving yeah. gar- uh, gardens, yeah. well-established gardens, so it's really important. We've been yeah. working on the Blazy Arboretum as well, so yep. that's in development. And, and I'm sure uh, we must go and have a look, but I'm sure it won't be in blocks I I don't imagine so, Um, but yeah, they're very strong advocates for planting trees and preserving not just um, not just horticulture in gardens, but preserving nature and you know conserving it. So Fermi, give us the date again. It's the twenty second and twenty third of October. The twenty second, the gates open at twelve noon. Because the it is a competitive flower show, so that um, up until twelve, the judges are still uh, making their decisions. So, but you can come in before that and and wander around the gardens, but you just can't come into the hall where the um, the main um, the floral displays are. And um, uh, the October one is used to always be called, you know, it was the Rhododendron Festival, really, because um, uh, October is the peak time for the, the rhododendrons up there. So, uh, yeah, it's a it's a great time to come up there. And, of course, there's the plant stall and there will be other people selling plants. And, uh, and I, I have to say, Fermi, one of the things that is wonderful about, Fern, uh, about Fernie Creek is that you find people selling plants there that don't, that have got such unusual things and don't mm. really sell anywhere else. It's yeah. just yeah. – and, and so mm. if you're like me and you're always looking for something a little yeah. bit different, something you didn't know about, there's a great, it's a great place. There's a great Oxalis um, stand. Oh, Craig. Yeah, Craig. Craig. Craig only comes to the March uh, Plant Expo. Oh, that's and, right. Um, I mean, it, it it puts Stephen's Oxalis collection in the shade. Saying, <laughs> well, good thing he's not on the You'd think Stephen has the most Oxalis, but Craig has just yeah, Craig, cornered. Oh, Craig has sold me some beautiful Oxalis, so I can definitely <laughs> advocate to come to the March one when Craig's March there. But plant yes, because a lot of them are, will still be dormant. Yeah, mm. But also um, there's great begonias available. Like, there's all sorts of yeah. and yeah. Um, native plants. Like It's such a range, so it's really, yeah. it's really worth getting to everyone that's yeah. listening. I, sh- I should put a plug in. I know you mentioned Bollebeck before, but um, um, I was really knocked out by um, 
uh, Ben Booker's um, yeah. um, Treasured perennials. perennials. Oh, my gosh. He had so much stuff there. Well, and Ben and Kerry are amazing. Yeah. Mm, yeah so, and, and you, know, w- you know, two years ago, nobody had heard of them, mm. and suddenly they're there, and they've got such a great range of things. Yes, so, they grow very unusual things, don't they? Yeah. And oh. they'll be there today, so... That's yep. Bollebeck for today, 370 Mount Macedon Road. Yeah. All right, thanks a lot. Thanks, Vermi. Thanks, Vermi. Okay. Bye. 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 It is, um, I, I think treasured perennials are one of those little finds. They, they do have wonderful plants. They'll be, yeah. they'll be at the Yarra Valley Fair too if you can't make it today. And they'll prob- I imagine they'll be at the Fernie Creek one because they're usually there. So it is exciting. Now we have um, uh, Nicola in Eltham, my Pandaria pandorana, which was thick and beautiful for years, had a disease that looked like a leaf miner and it's killed Mm. it. One, do you know what it could be? And two, I now have an eight or ten metre wire fence to cover. Mm. That Mm. is a challenge. Do no. I know what it is? I don't. Don't. But that is a, a shame because what a beautiful Yes, and plant. particularly at the moment. Yeah, yeah. So the question is what what to replace it? Now, one question always with climbers is most of them climb to the top and yeah. not many will cover from the bottom. And yep. one that will always cover from the bottom but doesn't have beautiful flowers is the wire vine, which is Mulembechia complexa, yep. mm. which is a New Zealand plant, and it does cover the whole fence, and you can just run over it with a chain with a hedge trimmer. Hedge trimmer. Yeah, that is a good option. It it but it doesn't flower. Yeah, it virtually makes it look like you have a hedge. Um, yeah, and given that it is a you know a wire chain link fence, that's a very good option because it will cover nicely it could have been a lace bug that killed your pandaria you know um or Um, the other the other climber that i know that is spectacular at the moment is the 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 trapeolum tricolor so the the one that's it's closely related to nasturtiums but it, it, it uh it's hard to grow. Summer yeah. dormant. Summer though. dormant. That's that. Yeah, it does die. die it's a wonderful summer. one to grow through a hedge or something like that. Yeah. Where, because then it'll ha- it can have a very dry. It must have a very very dry summer. Summer. Mm. Yeah. It's dormant. Yeah. Yeah. So, I like mandevilla. Yep. That's always nice, and you can get lots of different coloured flowers. Um, Eltham. Yeah, that would be fine. Would it? Because. Yes, and um, the Chinese star jasmine, if part of the fence is in the dark. Trackless spermum. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I was thinking of that one. Chinese star jasmine, the advantage of that is it doesn't have to be in full sun. Yep. Because a lot of climbers also want full sun. And there's a whole lot of different pandarias now, which is nice. Yeah. From the princess dye, which is pink, to some very interesting ones that are um, darker, mm. <coughs> have got, you know, shades of reds and browns in them, which I much prefer to the pink. 
Yeah, and there are forms of evergreen clematis that might be nice if it's in a shady, <coughs> shady area. There's only that's clematis armandii, which is the evergreen clematis mm. um, that has a big leaf and is flowering. It was just finishing flowering now, mm. and it has a lovely scent. Mm. And there's uh, cartmanii as well, clematis cartmanii. That's a nice one. That's evergreen. It's got a white flower. They do tend to be difficult to find, mm. the clematis. Mm. I know Craig's got some clematis at the moment because a lot of them are very, very expensive. When I'm in England, I see them for sale for five pounds and I just go, oh, because I come I back think, here yeah. and I find them $45 well, and $50, which I find I, offensive. I know Tessilars is always selling clematis yeah. and they're cheaper. I think the native one's underrated, the Aristata. Oh, oh, the native and the New Zealand clematis, yeah. both are, are fabulous, the yeah. Australian and the New Zealand. And I was just thinking, I did go back and have a look because I remember Roger Elliott talking about a fantastic uh, uh, climber, a native climber mm. as well, which is the Aphenopetalum. Resinosum or gum vine, which uh, and which which is a fantastic one that does bulk up right from the ground and and continues to go up. And so, can you say its name slowly? Gum vine, gum vine, or aphenopetalum. So a p h a n o p e t a l u m, and it's resinosum. And I've saw that just recently at. Um, Oh, the native uh, Karanga at Karanga. Yep. yep. Promptly lost the name. Yeah. I saw it just recently, so I know Karanga are selling that. Is there a picture of it on our Instagram? It's it's, it's on the yeah it's on the socials on the three CR socials, so you can go back. So and, go back a couple of weeks look, when or... Roger was here and have a look at that. That's yeah. a, that's a very good idea. The other one maybe like Hardenbergia violacea. That's yep. a nice one. Yes, and it'd be safe on. A wire fence. I had it on a picket fence, and it destroyed the pickets. Hmm. Because, yeah, why? Because it is very. It is a very strong climber. It is. You're right. Yeah. So yeah, wire fence would it will do it the job well. And you can always combine them. Yeah. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but if you are combining, just think about whether you're going to want to try and prune them or not. Because mm. that's always a thought. Yeah, I wouldn't combine the clematises with anything else that we've mentioned because everything else will overpower the clematises, I think. Mm. Um, I actually would tend not to grow. I suppose if you grew the clematis with the Muhlenbeckia would work. Oh, yeah, sure. Because you'd only prune the Muhlenbeckia maybe twice a year and so you could just... And, Time it. And the clematis usually you want to prune, so... Mm. Mm. That might be a, a quite a nice combination, a mule and becker combined with mm. some clematis. And I'd, and Eltham's not too far from the Dandenongs. You definitely Tessalars, definitely Craig, you can get um, clematis. Mm. And the mm. mule and becker I've seen around, but I can't actually think where. But it's I don't think it's uncommon. No. Yeah. No, you'd find it. Yeah, you'll find it. Well... We've had we've had a, a a bash at that, so I hope that was useful. Yeah. <laughs> and have we have we got some other nice plants to talk about? We did at the congress. There was a eucryphia mentioned. Oh yeah, and well, I thought I it might be nice it. to talk about. Yes, so 
uh, we were talking earlier about the native cloud forests from up in the wet tropics bioregion of far north Queensland. Um, now, there's a particular plant, a lot of you would be familiar with Eucryphias, the leatherwoods, so um, lot, they grow in Tasmania and and there's one that grows up in the, the far north Queensland mountaintops called Eucryphia wilkii. Um, it's a beautiful plant um, with the, and it's a smallish shrub, can, can sort of get up to around two metres, um, but we were all looking at, in the presentation that we we, we saw on, on the, the far north Queensland mountaintops, it was on this rocky escarpment and, mm. and obviously windswept and everything, so it, it didn't look to be much over a metre. So they can... It did have can, a beautiful flower. And they have an absolutely beautiful little white flower that has an incredible fragrance, a real vanilla kind of, uh, almost like if you can think of those vanilla sort of hand washes and stuff like that that really have that strong beautiful smell this one i've got one here with us at the moment and it's just come into into bud so it, it won't be far off off mm. flowering so and the buds almost look like tiny little kiwi fruit <laughs> like they're so tiny and pretty they are. and and little furry ones yeah. yeah and the interesting thing with eucryphia is there are only seven species yep and five of them come from australia the yep. other two come from south america yep and and yet most of all the old hybrids that are around were actually bred in England. Yeah. <laughs> and if you if you want to go see some of these plants, they have some growing at the Cranbourne Botanic Gardens, yep. um, protected from rabbits. Yes. <laughs> um, and, and yeah, they do have a range of the the far north Queensland mountaintop plants that they have already been planted out at, at Cranbourne Botanic Garden, the Royal Botanic Gardens, Victoria. And the other thing that's nice about a eucryphia, it actually flowers in summer. Yep. When mm. there's not as much flowering, yeah. except for your agapanthus. And, and these do hold on to their flowers for a long time. So mm. so I I was sure that I would have found one in the nursery this morning or last night that was in flower, but I I, I didn't. But uh, they, there's a lot that are just about to pop out. Mm. The other thing about this one is it's got actually quite white undersides of the leaves. So, so from a distance, it almost looks like a variegation, um, but it's... It's just that the the you're sort of looking at the underside of of the leaves and the and the the top side. So yeah, the Eucryphia wilkii. And it's not really a plant you'll find at your local nursery, but definitely one to visit Cranbourne and uh, the Mount Dandenong Botanic yeah, Gardens and, to see. And certainly one that I could see coming to cultivation mm. into the future. Um, obviously, there'll be permitting rules and everything that apply. Yeah. But um, but it certainly has a lot of ornamental value um, and yeah. horticultural value and obviously, more than anything, a lot of conservation value as we were talking about earlier. So, And mm. the leatherwood honey, of course, comes yeah. from the Tasmanian one. Yep. And there's one in the temperate um, rainforests of New South Wales and Victoria called pinkwood. Yep. So mm. for some reason their wood is referred to quite often. I yeah. Why, I don't know. Yeah. But the leatherwood honey is a very distinctive very distinctive flavour. Yeah. Mm. And so I think um, I would definitely like to have some eucryphia in my garden, so I think we should watch. We must have a look and see if Karanga's got them. Yeah. Mm. And some of the other native nurseries. Yeah, certainly they will have uh, have other eucryphias. They won't have this one. But, um, but mm. yeah, they, they are around in cultivation as a, as a general rule. But and, yeah. and having a lovely scent is, is a very important thing. It's a nice thing at... When for things that flower a bit later in the summer. Yep. We've actually got a a reasonable collection of eucryphias at the Dandenong Ranges Botanic Garden just on the 
the top side of our lake embankment. So there, there was it was a it was a bank that was completely planted up with hydrangeas. But but um, in the last oh geez, probably ten years, they've that ago that we started planting eucryphias there. So so they're just starting to get some height now. So so you can actually go and and there's a beautiful walk gravel path that you can walk along just on the top side of the lake. And that is a lovely view yeah. over to what will soon be Philip Johnson's Chelsea Garden. Yeah, the so. Chelsea Australian Garden at Alinda. So, yeah, that's uh, there's lots of things happening up there. Yeah. And that garden is due to open this year, isn't it? Yeah, hope, hopefully around December. So so that's his award-winning garden from the Chelsea uh, Flower, Flower and Garden Show. And um, so he's upscaled it and replicating it at the Dandenong Ranges Botanic Garden. And it's... They're in full construction mode at the moment and there's some incredible plants that have gone in that they've got, I think, over 400 species of native plants going into that, that, that garden. So it's, yeah. it's, a, it's, it's going to be a great display. So. There is a great video floating around on social media at the moment. It's got uh, Phil and Tex on it. It's lovely to see. <laughs> oh, well, we must all have a look at that. <laughs> yeah. Getting excited for that garden. It's going to be beautiful. Yeah, yeah. Well, it is, and Tex, I believe you're going to get a, a deer fence. Yes, yes, we are. It's actually, I think, this week it'll start construction. So, so that will make... So that will be transformative for our garden to be able to hopefully keep the pesty deer out of it and uh, and protect our trees because, uh, yes, they do get particularly cut, hurt. Right, we, all, we have to go now. So thank you very much for listening to the 3CR Garden Show and I really, really hope that you've enjoyed it today. Bye.